Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, September 13, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Outgoing Kenyan President Kenyatta congratulates President-elect William Ruto, who is being inaugurated today, Tuesday. My entire family and I join all Kenyans in wishing the very best to our next president, Dr. William Samway Ruto, and extending to him our warmest congratulations for receiving the mandate of Kenyans to lead us as our fifth president. Cameroon Separatist Republic of Ambazonia elects a new leader. Nigeria loses Africa's top oil producer spot to Angola. Malawi's president removes hurdle from anti-graft alliance. Liberian President Weah accepts resignation of three senior government officials accused of corruption, but his critics says he should have dismissed and prosecuted them. He should have dismissed these officials. He should have commenced the investigation, and they should have proceeded to prosecution based on the results of the investigation. And new global estimates say 50 million people were living in more than slavery last year. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta has officially congratulated President-elect and former Deputy President William Ruto for the first time since Ruto was declared winner of last month's elections. Kenyatta addressed the nation on Monday afternoon after meeting with Ruto at State House in Nairobi. The ceremonial meeting is the final step of the transition to the handover of power to Ruto, who is inaugurated today, Tuesday. Atiano Ujiambo reports from Nairobi. President-elect William Ruto arrived at State House in Nairobi, accompanied by First Lady Rachel Ruto, and was welcomed by President Kenyatta and the outgoing First Lady Margaret Kenyatta, addressing the nation shortly after the the meeting, Kenyatta expressed his and his family's best wishes to Ruto as he takes over office as the country's fifth president. Kenyatta had endorsed opposition leader Raila Odinga as his preferred successor, but he had not yet congratulated Ruto since his declaration as president-elect on August 15, and even after his win was upheld last Monday by the Supreme Court following a petition filed by Odinga, he also urged Ruto to be president for all Kenyans and not just those who voted for him. As a hallmark of our democracy, therefore, I will tomorrow, before God and you, my fellow countrymen, hand over the instruments of power to our new president at the Moi International Sports Center, Kasarani. And with that, the fourth administration will come to an end and the tenure of the fifth administration will begin. My entire family and I join all Kenyans in wishing the very best to our next president, Dr. William Samway Ruto, and extending to him our warmest congratulations for the receiving the mandate of Kenyans to lead us as our fifth president. And so, Mr. President-elect, as you walk the past year inauguration and beyond, you will be the president not just for those who voted for you, but for all Kenyans. Ruto will be sworn in on Tuesday at the Moi International Sports Complex in Kasarani, Nairobi. The Assumption of Office Committee, spearheaded by Interior Principal Secretary Karanja Kibicho, says it is satisfied with the preparations and all is set for the swearing-in ceremony. More than 60,000 people are expected to attend the ceremony, including over 20 heads of state who have confirmed attendance with South Sudan President Silva Kir and his Mozambican counterpart Felipe Nyusi already in the country. 
expecting a lot of VVIPs uh, in excess now of 20 uh, heads of states from across Africa and across the world. Therefore, there will be elaborate protocol program here tomorrow. We will open the stadium at 4 to the public because uh, allowing 60,000 people who you must do security screening requires a bit of time and expect that everyone is seated and waiting by 8 a.m. for the program that uh, we have adjusted to start at 10.30. We are ready and happy that uh, we've been able to put this in a very short time. Some Kenyans are anticipating Ruto's assumption of office so that he can start delivering on the promises he made to voters during the campaign. Peter Mwangi is a Nairobi businessman. I can't wait for the inauguration of our president-elect William Samoy Ruto tomorrow, Tuesday. One of the things that he had promised was that he was going to, re- to bring down the cost of living, which has been an issue with us. So I know this is going to help us so much. We are looking forward to him sorting this out in the first 100 days like he promised during the campaign. Let's wait and see what he does for us. Part of the inauguration involves the outgoing president handing over the instruments of power and authority to the incoming president. These include the constitution and the ceremonial sword. The inauguration of the fifth president of the Republic of Kenya will be broadcast through a private contractor, Multi-Choice Kenya, through a DSTV channel 197. From there, local media will pick up signals via a YouTube link, a directive that has sparked outbursts in the country. Atieno Odiambo, VOA Daybreak Africa in Nairobi, Kenya. The longtime spokesperson of Cameroon's self-proclaimed Republic of Ambazonia says he has been elected president of the separatist movement. Chris Anu, formerly Secretary of State for Communication for the group, says he was sworn in on Saturday. His election comes as the movement is flailing and believed to be losing support among southern Cameroonians amid allegations of infighting, corruption, human rights violations, and a revolving door of leadership. Anu tells me that the movement will do certain things differently under his leadership, including taking the fight to Cameroon's government-controlled territories and revising the movement's much-criticized policy of shutting down schools. For six years, we have been able to hold a republic to Cameroon's fair bound from having full control of our territory. So we think that going forward, we should be able to begin to take and hold territories. That will be a project that I hope to embark upon. It's also very important to note that this war has been fought largely for the past six years in Amazonia. If we call it war, war should have collateral damage. The damage, as you know, has largely been done in our territory. We want to see that citizens of the Republic of Cameroon feel a pinch of the pain that Ambazonians have felt for the past six years. If I'm not mistaken, Chris, uh, the last time your movement had, I think, two or three different presidents now, how do you go about injecting new beginning in an organization that some people say is fluttering? Well, James, I would not want to say there are other presidents or leaders out there, except you mean of other factions other than the interim government of, of Ambazonia. As far as this interim government is concerned, There is only one leader, one president, and you are speaking to him now. Right now, it seems that your support among the people is not as strong as before. There is no doubt we have so many of our people who are disgruntled and are taken to the sidelines, but I can assure you the reason I am at this moment, at this point in time, 
is because I see the need for everyone who has been disappointed, who has been disgruntled, alienated, to bring all of them back. That is one mission that I hope to take out there to our people. But I will also add that the overwhelming population of Ambazoni eh, is together for this war. And I think when they see good leadership, they will definitely rush to fall behind it with your support. So I see that coming. The reason I asked the question, because at some point you had been accused by the people of being responsible for closing schools when students are supposed to be in school and for kidnapping other people. That's why I'm asking whether you still have the support of the people. James, we have the support of the people. There is no doubt about that. Even relating to the school subject, we still have the support of the people. Every decision we took then was for the interest of the same people. And let me say this about the school policy. Of course, we agree that from the onset, we shut down schools. But we are going to revise the school policy in the days ahead. We don't know how long this war is going to last. So what we are thinking right now is to open up community and private institutions for regular schooling. So parents will be advised to send their children to community and private schools anywhere in Ambazonia, but anything government school will shut it down. Thank you so much again, Chris, and congratulations. My pleasure, sir. Thank you, Jen. Chris Anu, formerly the Secretary of State for Communication of the self-proclaimed Republic of Ambazonia, says he's now the new president of the Republic of Ambazonia. He was speaking with us from the U.S. city of Houston in Texas. Malawi's president, Lasro Chakwera, has signed into law an amendment to the Corrupt Practices Act. It empowers the Anti-Corruption Bureau, the ACB, to prosecute cases without seeking the consent of the Director of Public Prosecution, the DPP. The move has ended a battle between the two in which the Bureau accused the DPP of frustrating the fight against fraud and mismanagement. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The amended Corrupt Practices Act is among six bills approved by President Lazarus Chakwira, which the parliament passed last month. Briefing reporters during a revised press conference, Monday, Minister of Justice Titus Invalo said the amendment of the legislation confirms the government's commitment to fighting corruption. We all know how much complaints we have been hearing from people regarding delays of prosecution on account of either delay in granting consent by the DPP or refusal to grant consent. We are now hoping that with this amendment, it will become quicker to bring cases to court by the ACB. In January, a war of words broke out between the Anti-Corruption Bureau, ACB, and the Director of Public Prosecution, DPP. This came after the DPP denied consent to prosecute a case of a corruption against the suspect, Ashok Neam. The ACB arrested Nea for corruption in land deals allegedly involving former Minister of Lands, Kezin Sukwa. The Director of Public Prosecution, Hape Kayuni, said he could not grant ACB consent because the anti-graft border application for consent did not furnish him with the full investigation on the matter. The issue resulted into a battle over supremacy between the two government agencies in which the ACB accused the DPP office of frustrating the fight against corruption. Greta Ndala is the spokesperson for the Anti-Corruption Bureau. She told VOA that the amended legislation 
is among solutions to challenges the ACB faces in the fight against fraud and mismanagement. As a law enforcement agency, we enforce the law on the now that that section has been amended. In the fight against corruption, I think you can never say everything will be enough. That's, that's one thing we should all agree on. Because the fight itself is an expensive venture. Moses Nkandawire is the chairperson of the National Anti-Corruption Alliance. He welcomes the amended legislation, but he says more needs to be done. One is the number of prosecutors that we have in ACB, which means that we need more prosecutors. Number two is the number of major streets and judges that we have in the country. There are several kinds of cases beyond corruption and fraud, and therefore we require a special division that we've been fighting for, like the economic crimes division. However, Justice Minister Mvalo said the government is doing that. When we came into government, there were only 12 lawyers who could prosecute cases at the ACB. But now the total number has risen to 29. But we have also hired from the private sector four experienced lawyers, investigators. Previously, we had 29. Now we've increased by 19, which is an increase of 65%. Because we have noticed that in some cases, it is investigation which delays cases. Unvalo said although the amended law gives the ACB independence to prosecute the cases, their speedy conclusion would still depend on the courts. Unvalo said he hopes the courts would stop accepting unnecessary adjournments of cases, which he said compromises the delivery of justice. I am Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, September 13. Liberian President George Manawia has accepted the resignations of the country's Solicitor General, Seymour Sirinio Seifers, the Minister of State for Presidential Affairs, Nathaniel McGee, and Bill Twaway, the Managing Director of the National Port Authority. President Weir suspended the three last month after they were sanctioned by the U.S. government for alleged corruption. The U.S. Treasury Department said that through their corruption, the three officials have undermined democracy in Liberia for their own personal benefit. Lajo Hood-Renning is Liberia's information minister. Well, I think there has been some sober reflection and sort of understanding of all of the issues and implications associated with such a sanction coming from the U.S. Treasury Department. And so given the, uh, the back and forth and the consultations internally and externally, it was a common, you know, approach that uh, it would be in the best interest, not just for the government and people of Liberia, but also those who stand accused by the U.S. Treasury Department to agreeably part ways with the administration in a most respectable manner. And so to, to have resigned today was the best thing in the interest of everybody. Did they resign on their own or did President George Weir ask them to resign? James, I don't believe that that is material in all of this. What is even most important and material is the fact that the president accepted the resignation. It sends a message that uh, we, we now want to move on as a government, as a people, giving also those who stand accused an opportunity to think about a new future and how to engage perhaps privately with their accusers to see how they can sort these issues out. 
there are still people who are asking, okay, what happens to the investigation that the president announced when he suspended these uh, three officials? What happened to that investigation? We cannot speak to that now because that is within the purview of the Attorney General of the Republic. I'm sure in the coming days he will have uh, something to say about that. But at the moment, given all that is happening now and the parting of ways by these people from the government, it provides all of us an opportunity now to see what next steps would be in terms of ensuring that the government moves on with its uh, day-to-day agenda. Of course, there are those in the opposition who are saying that uh, these people should be prosecuted. Well, the opposition must have their say, and, and we know politics of the day will always play into these kinds of things. But uh, on the government side, we're continuing to engage, we're continuing to see how best we can handle this matter. Some of the things that we're doing are truly diplomatic, and we would not want to speak publicly about that. But let me say, we, we treat these matters very seriously. We're working as a government. We're continuing to do the things that we're expected to do as a government, behaving responsibly and treating this matter as seriously as much as possible. Mr. Minister, thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, James. All the best. Ledger Hurani is Liberia's information minister. He was speaking with us from the capital, Monrovia. Alexander Cummings is leader of the Opposition Alternative National Congress Party of Liberia and possible presidential candidate in the country's 2023 elections. He tells me that President Weir should have fired all three officials sanctioned by the U.S. government for alleged corruption and requested the help of the U.S. to prosecute them. This is another demonstration of the lack of leadership coming from our president. The president announced that he has suspended his officials when I believe he should have fired them. He also announced he will be doing an investigation. And look, it's good that this gentleman have resigned, but I want to know what's happened or what's happening with the investigation. Are they going to be prosecuted? You know, I keep saying, James, we can't keep doing the same things and expect different results. We cannot let government officials steal the laboratory money and all they get is a slap on the wrist. They resign and they leave with the money they've stolen. No investigation, no prosecution. So the president continues to disappoint the Liberian people. He continues to show lack of leadership, and we have to continue to question his words when he says he's committed to fighting corruption. This was a perfect opportunity for him to demonstrate to the world, to the Americans, to the Liberian people, most importantly, that he was serious about fighting corruption. He should have dismissed these officials who work at his will and pleasure. He should have commenced the investigation. I don't believe that has happened. And they should have proceeded to prosecution based on the results of the investigation. Mr. Cummins, this news is coming, if I'm not mistaken, a few days before President George Weir is to leave uh, for the United Nations General Assembly meeting. How did the resignations come about? Was he pressured by the U.S. government to do this? What do you know there? You know, I don't know specifically what happened behind the scenes that led to this, but these officials resigned. The president did not dismiss them, which I believe he should have. Again, they served at his will and pleasure. So they may have been pressured. They may have done it on their own volition. I don't want to speculate on that. I think what's most important, though, is that the president continues to show lack of leadership. He continues to only pay lip service to fighting corruption. And as I said in the statement I issued right after the sanctions were brought against these individuals, the president was either complicit or derelict in his duties as to not understanding what was happening 
right outside his door by his Minister of State for Presidential Affairs, his chief of staff. Of course, you had called for their resignation. That has happened. Are you not satisfied? No, we called for their dismissal by the president. That did not happen. The fact that they have resigned is good for the Liberian people, but it's not good enough for the Liberian people in the sense that they need to be investigated and if foreign wanting, they need to be prosecuted. James, as a people, we cannot keep doing the same things and expect different results. It's, it's a broken record. I know I keep saying this. We cannot let people come into government, steal from the Liberian people, and walk away with the loot. And this is what is happening again. In the meantime, our people are suffering. Our civil servants are not getting paid regularly. We do not have drugs in the hospitals and clinics around the country. And the list goes on and on and on. We have to stop this behavior. And the president had a one-off opportunity to demonstrate to us that he was serious about fighting corruption and he's missed that opportunity. Mr. Comis, thank you so much. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, James. Alexander Cummings is the leader of the Opposition Alternative National Congress Party of Liberia. He was speaking with us from the capital, Monrovia. Industry insiders say Nigeria has lost its position as Africa's top oil producer to Angola and could soon become third after Libya. Oil analysts say Nigeria's production struggles are coming at the worst time as oil prices have jumped, partly due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. President Mohamedou Buhari has blamed the country's record decline in oil production on sabotage and theft. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. According to the Nigerian Oil Regulation Commission, the country's oil production during August dropped to 972,000 barrels per day, down from about 1.1 million barrels per day in July. That allowed Angola to pass Nigeria in monthly oil production for the third time this year. The other months were May and June. Nigeria's oil production has been declining steadily for months. Authorities blame rising crude oil theft and sabotage at production sites on the trend. The Nigerian National Petroleum Cooperation NNPC said recently that thieves from all levels of society, including religious groups, were stealing 200,000 barrels of crude oil per day. Oil and gas expert Emmanuel Afimia says Nigeria losing its position as Africa's biggest oil producer has consequences. Actually sends um, a wrong signal to the global market. The country might slowly be losing its influence in the global market and uh, it may be difficult for Nigeria to contribute to decisions in the global market as time goes on. And uh, most importantly, buyers might start to panic because if you look at the reasons behind the decline, buyers could actually think that Nigeria is uh, slowly losing its grasp. The lost production also translates to billions of dollars in lost revenue. Global oil prices skyrocketed in March, soon after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and oil is still trading at around $96 per barrel. At that level, Crude oil is trading 36% above Nigeria's benchmark for its 2022 budget. But in July, the NNPC reported zero revenue from crude oil exports, compared to $5.96 million earnings in June. 
last Friday, President Muhammad Buhari instituted a committee on national economy and immediately discussed issues of oil theft with the new team. He said the theft is putting the country in a precarious economic position. Afimia says authorities must address theft and invest more in oil production before companies can raise monthly output. Nigeria's Oil Workers Union said massive crude oil theft was putting their safety and jobs at risk and threatened to go on strike if the issue is not addressed. Nigerian authorities say they have improved surveillance of oil assets, especially in areas prone to bunkering and vandalism. This month, security authorities arrested 122 oil thieves and said operatives recovered nearly 36 million liters of stolen oil and 22 million liters of diesel. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja. Nigeria. And that's it for this Tuesday, September 13th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com.